WFNU is a volunteer-run station made up of many different community voices. Each program expresses one aspect of this diversity and not the view of WFNU or FTI as a whole. Video content with captions of content from this show is available at ablemediamn.com. This is the ADAPT revolution. Say it with me, Beth. What? Say it with me. This, this is the ADAPT revolution. revolution. We want to um, first and foremost acknowledge that we are on the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe and Dakota people in what is also known as Minnesota, and uh, affectionately known to us as the Twin Cities in large part uh, for the roots of this show um, at this moment in time. So welcome all to the ADAPT revolution. Welcome one and all to the eighth episode of ADAPT Revolution. Today's episode is about congregating how we come together, how we see each other, how we feel each other, how we know that our shared space is our own, and together, how we make the revolution irresistible. Today we have a piece from Catalina Devanda, who was an international human rights lawyer with a disability, and we also have an interview with Alan Malkus from Oramet which is the Jewish Humanist Congregation of Minnesota. Let's get into it. When I was little, I once heard my grandmother talking about me. She didn't know that I was there listening. And she said, what a pity, my little girl. She has such a beautiful face, but nobody will want her. I was born with spina bifida. That means that since I was little, I wasn't able to walk very well. I grew up in Costa Rica, a small, beautiful country in Latin America. And there, I always felt loved and supported by my family. I grew up like any other kid. I just uh, played, I went to school, I learned to swim. Once I was asked, what part of your body would you change if you could? And my answer was, none. I was happy. I was free and I was encouraged to do whatever I wanted. Yet later in life, when my first daughter was born, my father was holding her in his arms. And he told my mother, I never dreamt this moment was going to be possible. And I was surprised because I thought my grandmother belonged to another generation. But my father, my loving father, the one that told me that there were no limits, he couldn't believe that I was going to be a mother. Today, I am the mother of three. I'm a lawyer, I'm married, and as you heard, I'm the special rapporteur on the rights of persons with disabilities. In my work, I promote human rights. I travel all around and I meet with persons with disabilities, all sorts of persons with disabilities, children, or older people, indigenous peoples, women. I sit, I go, I visit schools, psychiatric hospitals, and I learn about their challenges. I then go and meet governments and discuss with them those challenges, trying to find solutions. 
And I've been in very different countries, in, in all the continents, in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, Latin America, North America, rich countries, poor countries, less and more developed countries. And what is interesting is that all around, the challenges that we face as persons with disabilities are very similar. And here are some of our shared frustrations. Many of us feel excluded, out of schools and without jobs. Many feel undervalued. You know, in some places, people with disabilities cannot vote. Many feel angry because they cannot leave their houses or use public transportation. Some want to form families and have partners, but they're not expected to. And some are tired. We're tired of people feeling sorry for us because we don't like pity. And much too often, decisions are made for us. We're not allowed to decide what we want to do with our lives. Others have the power over us, or we can decide for us. It could be doctors, it could be professionals, it could be teachers, it could be even caregivers. And this, again, is not something that happens only in the poor countries against the rich countries or in the more democratic countries against the less democratic countries. No, this happens everywhere. This is, for instance, the case of Alice. Alice is the nine-year-old daughter of my friend. And when she moved here to Geneva, she wasn't allowed to attend any school. Professionals here thought that her Down syndrome justified her exclusion from other children. Alice wasn't able to attend school for more than four years. And this seems incredible, right? But it's true. And it's what happens to millions around the world. So we must change that. We need to change those powers imbalances. Persons with disabilities need to contribute and to participate in our communities just like anyone else. And for that, we have been fighting for decades, demanding change. And thanks to that fight, we now have a very important tool. That tool is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. This convention is a law, an international law, so it creates obligations for states. It was drafted with the active participation of persons with disabilities, and I was privileged to be one of them. And the convention has at least two clear messages. The first one is, the problem is not us. The problem has never been us. The problem is not personal, it's social. It's not about curing us. It's about removing barriers. So, the problem is that there's only stairs and not ramps to enter into a cinema. The problem is the law that allows others to make decisions for us. The problem is the school that is designed for some and not for all children. And the convention is also reminding countries that they need to sit, talk, and listen with persons with disabilities. Because we know better what are the problems, and we know better how to stop those problems. Of course, we have to work together and with others in building the solutions. But we are the experts we cannot do without. And let me give you an example. I once met with uh, a young man he was very upset, Oscar, and he was upset because he just got a new wheelchair, a fancy wheelchair. The municipality had spent a lot of money in that wheelchair. But the problem was that Oscar lived in the mountains in a rural area, and with that wheelchair, he couldn't go out. All he wanted was a horse, but nobody had asked him. So nothing about us without us. That's the motto of the disability community. Nothing about us without us. And that's the key that is going to help us gain the control over our lives. And a lot of things are happening. We're seeing change all around. More and more, we see persons with disabilities participating in school, as co-workers. We have more awareness about the need to have accessibility. Technology is supporting us to strive. But to be truly successful and to achieve the full participation of persons with disabilities, we still have to look at the root causes. What is causing this exclusion? Why is it this is still happening? And what I see in my work and in my life is that this is because the way in which we are perceived. 
This is about the social perceptions. Because unfortunately, there are still many that think that we cannot lead fulfilling lives, that we are a burden, that we cannot be independent and have a family. So mothers might even think that our lives are not worth living, that our experiences are surrounded by sadness and by ugliness, that our life experiences need to be avoided and prevented. Some might even go and think that disability is a worse faith than death. So we need to challenge these perceptions. And this might sound daunting, very difficult, but I'm very optimistic. Because in the same way that we have made progress in fighting sexism and fighting racism and fighting homophobia, we will make progress in fighting ableism, the discrimination and social prejudice against persons with disabilities. And we can do that by embracing disability as part of human diversity, by understanding that persons with disabilities and disability is just a normal experience, one that should be celebrated. So this is about disability as a normal part of human diversity and one that should be celebrated. That's strong, isn't it? Let's break it in two. So disability is a normal part of the human experience. And that's an easy one, because it's a fact. We represent 15% of the global population. That means one billion people. That's a lot of people. And I have news. We are here to stay. We're not going anywhere, right? And if anything, the numbers might only increase because the population is getting old, but also because thanks to the advances in science and technology, we are supported. And now, you know, we, we live more, so we can even say that we are the result of human progress. And this is not to scare you, because, you know, once I was in a radio interview and I was talking about, about all these numbers, and the interviewer stopped me and said, oh my God, so now there are more persons with disabilities, we have to do something. So no, it's not about that. It's actually taking us to the second point, the point of the celebration. We have to celebrate because, just like anyone else, our lives can be exciting, beautiful, and cool. Just like anyone else, we have expectations and we have dreams. And just like anyone else, when we have opportunities, we flourish. And also, just like anyone else, we have moments of loneliness and sadness. But that's life, right? So we don't want to be cured. We want to have access. We don't want to be pitied. We want to be proud. And I'm proud. My disability has enriched my life in so many ways. And it is actually enriching the lives of those around me. My colleagues, my friends, my family, my lovely daughters, even perhaps my husband, you never know. <laughs> so we need to celebrate. And we need to celebrate because no one should have the power of deciding about us or over us. No one should decide about the value of our lives. And this is a revolution, a deep philosophical change. One that will not allow any father to limit his expectations about his daughter. Every revolution starts at the mind. This is not about you and me. This has always been about us. How far do you want to come with us in this journey? Thanks to Catalina for that stirring TED Talk. And now, Beth and I interview Alan Malkus from Oramet. So welcome everyone to the eighth episode of Adapt Revolution. Um, we have a special guest with us tonight, Alan Malkus. And um, 
I am going to let Alan go ahead and introduce himself, and um, then we will uh, get into some questions. All right. Thanks, Matt. Uh, my name is Alan Malkus. Uh, I'm currently the president of Congregation Oramet, which is the affiliate of the Society for Humanistic Judaism here in Minnesota. Mm. And uh, I grew up in New York State, but I've been in Minnesota for uh, 50 years. So I guess I'm sort of a Minnesotan now. Yeah. Spent enough winters here to qualify. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what specifically to say about my thoughts and dreams for an adapt revolution, except that my dream is that uh, uh, to borrow a phrase from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs. Uh, yeah. I think Mark send, said it very well, and it's mm -hmm. a good uh, philosophy for any society, and it applies to everyone regardless of their abilities. So yeah. uh, that would be my dream. Um, mm -hmm. So let me throw up, oh, you said a joke. Um, I have a lot of bad dad jokes, but I don't know if they're appropriate, so... Did you say cat jokes? <laughs> oh, da dad jokes, Beth. Dad jokes. Oh, bad. I thought you said cat. No. <laughs> Sorry oh, about that. Dad jokes are acceptable on this podcast. So. Oh, yeah, they're acceptable. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. just um, You're welcome to, to save your joke for the end. or uh, I'll, I'll save it. I'll come up with a better one. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Uh, so, Beth, I know that you're involved with Oramet also. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah. Do, do you all want to talk a little bit about a little bit more about what Oramet is and um, um, connection sure. to disability with Oramet also? Sure. Well, I can tell you a little bit about what Oramet is. Uh, we're an affiliate of the Society for Humanistic Judaism. It was founded here in the Twin Cities, oh, probably in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a very small group when I first encountered it, which was probably around 85, 86. And there were mm. maybe 10 couples. And when uh, my wife, Diane, and I started attending. We were the youngest people in the room. We were, how old were we? We were in our late 30s, but everybody else was older. And sadly, most of the original cohort that founded the organization have passed on. I mm -hmm. think there's one or two people mm -hmm. left from the beginning. But from that small beginning, we've now grown to a congregation with... Um, over 45 households and 15 individual memberships. Uh, we have um, a lot of interesting things going on. We have a Jewish cultural Sunday school for kids, uh, which meets once a month. Um, I think it's um, nine months out of the year. Now, 10 months. Mm. And uh, we have over 25 kids enrolled which is really great. Um, and we do a lot of things that a lot of congregations do. We have holiday celebrations. We have bar bat mitzvahs. We have um, cultural events. We have uh, a Shabbat service and a Sunday service 10 months, 10 months out of the year. Uh, usually there's a speaker and a lively discussion. And it can be a political topic, a scientific topic, a religious topic, can be almost anything. It can be music or dance or show and tell. And uh, we have a great time. And um, I know Beth has been, uh, Beth just joined recently this year as a member, but you've been around before at some of our events. So this yeah. is your first rodeo. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we have people of different abilities in the congregation. We have folks with uh, mobility limitations, people, uh, one or two members who use wheelchairs or walkers who need oxygen, uh, people who are unable to travel to our events. So we do everything since COVID, we're doing everything hybrid. So the people who right. can't attend can watch at home over Zoom. Yeah, and, sure. uh, it's worked out really well. Nice. Uh, and we're really excited that as of next year, our ritual leader, uh, Eva Cohen, is going to be ordained as a humanistic rabbi, which is going to be really exciting. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It will be. I can tell you. Cool. Beth, how did you find Oramet? Um, I can't remember how I found it uh, when I, you know, went to a few events that I, you know, piddle uh, around with, uh, you know, checking out. But, you know, I saw it written uh, uh, into some uh, um, magazines and I, you know, and it sounded real good. Uh, you know, and I uh, began, you know, began to feel like uh, after I had, uh, you know, decided uh, that, uh, you know, that what I uh, tried believing in, you know, wasn't uh, helping me, uh, you know, then I uh, decided, that, um, you know, that, it, that, you know, this, you know, it's really up my alley, and then I and that I had f found my niche as, uh, you know, especially as as an activist. Nice. And, and especially with, uh, you know, what I ha happened to believe. Yeah. You know, especially around, uh, you know, uh, the way in which Palestinians were were being treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and in terms of uh, you know the income uh, you know and, you know that I uh, in terms of my uh, uh, living in poverty and uh, you know and feeling often left out. Uh, now because of that. Yeah, one of the things that we really try to do is. If people need, you know, if people need a ride or something in order to be able to participate in our activities, we really do try to make it possible for anyone to uh, to connect with us and to participate. And um, we have a lot of almost everything is done by volunteers, which is mm -hmm. both a challenge and a blessing. Uh, and you know, we do the best we can to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to uh, to take part. That's great. Yeah, and since uh, you know, uh, you know, on June uh, on June the twenty first, I you know did move out of where I was at. You know, my uh, crisis, you know, got solved by the last case manager. I had by moving into a place out in North St. Paul, and I do have, um, you know, some um, transportation that the county pays for. Uh, it's not Metro Mobility. Uh, they, uh, you know, I call a day in advance. I mean, a lot of times they don't mind if I call at the last minute, uh, but sometimes, you know, when I call, the number where I can, you know, call, you know, call when I'm ready to leave. Sometimes they can be such a nuisance. Uh, I mean, they're getting to finally recognize what my uh, phone number is. That is my cell phone number. But there are times when they still don't even remember where I now live. And um, well, you know, today went rather smoothly and they're uh, remembering it and 
be able to pick me up from the Martin Luther King Center to get uh, to go to the food shelf and all that. But many other times they just haven't done quite as well. But I mean, I at least don't have to pay for it, and I get pretty well treated when I call and make um, you know get rides set up and so forth and on. Other than you know having to insist that I get put on to, you know, the line to somebody who can help me out other than being on a voicemail. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certainly better than, uh, than uh, Metro Mobility. Yeah. Um, We're certainly lucky to live in a state where there's, even though it's not as adequate as it could be, there's a lot more investment in social services and support for people than in many other states. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, 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 I got that going for me. So, you know, I'm not, you know, because I live in North St. Paul, you know, I'm not, you know, um, you know, and I do, uh, I can't, um, you know, I, um, there are times when I can get rides to some things uh, by uh, certain people that, you know, of whom I get on-site help, but I'm not sure to what degree I can always get those. I'm not sure to what degree I could get rides from people from Oromet because I live out in North St. Paul, which is practically next door to Maplewood. Mm-hmm. It's a twelve. I mean, it's a twelve-minute um, jaunt uh, from with somebody else's vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I could give you my new address. I, you know, had done a change of address prior to leaving where I last lived. Yeah, Beth is talking about um, trying to get a um, a support group for Jewish disabled women started. Um, which is yeah, and I let Lilith, uh, the Jewish, uh, Jewish, uh, uh, women feminist, uh, magazine, uh, know about my idea, and they were more than willing to take both of my phone numbers and let other Jewish, uh, disabled, um, uh, women know about it, um, you know, who. Um, you know, who also, um, you know, think as I do and, you know, and they're really, you know, the only resource around that I know of who care about this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of stuff who, you know, um, acknowledge that, you know, we're pretty, uh, unique with our issues. There really aren't too many or, or I really don't know of any um, resources that deal, you know, uniquely with uh, Jewish disabled um, and, you know, and uh, uh, Jewish disabled feminist uh, uh, women's issues mm-hmm. at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things about Oramet is that we don't own a building and mm-hmm. so it's hard it we would love to be able to provide meeting space for groups like the one that Beth is trying to start and mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. But because we don't actually own a building it's difficult for us to right folks in that way but we could certainly help publicize you know the fact that oh okay are interested they should contact you that would be great yeah, I'll try to see. Yeah, I had get that in our. Oh, go ahead. Um, for the fall, I'll talk to the newsletter. Okay. That's oh, putting out our newsletter. The Oramet newsletter. The Oramet newsletter. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, the Oramet newsletter. Oh no, I understand. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, when I had been um, involved with um, Caring Connections 
for JFCS, and I loved the uh, two women that ran it, Shelly, and I can't, oh, I can't even re- remember her last name. I saw her last at a um, conference on mental health issues at, at uh, Temple Israel, and she really, you know, she complimented me, um, you know, profusely on some uh, Minnesota Women's Trust articles that I wrote and I, you know, you know, was in my own shell, you know, taking, you know, focusing on getting the hell out of where I was last at, you know, I just didn't want to write any articles until I was out of there. Um, and, you know, and I thanked, um, uh, Stacy, the other person who took over, you know, pairing connections just didn't have the people in that I fit, felt that I fit in with. And, and so I, you know, left it. I mean, I loved going on their activities. Otherwise, you know, aside from that, I just did not have a lot in common with the people that were a part of that, you know, with the exception of maybe um, all one woman by the name of Lynn. Um, she, um, you know, couldn't stand taking Metro Mobility anymore. She felt it to be a joke, but I didn't have a whole lot else in common with, with that one particular woman I wanted to get together with her more and she you know was her time was being taken up by her fiance who you know he she was soon going to be marrying and she often got rides from him to get many places and um and, and so on and so forth mm. um so You know, and then, of course, through my other activism, I've met a good number of other Jewish people, um, you know, and then when I had been more active in, you know, one component of the disability rights movement, I had met plenty of Jewish people who had, you know, been hurt by the psychiatric system and, uh you know, but none of us ever thought of setting up a support group. And then one earlier this year, a Jewish disabled woman who you may have never heard of um, by the name of Judy Human passed away. And I don't think the corporate media covered it very well. You know, she had, her, Matt, I think she had mentioned, uh, you know, one of her, I think one of her mother's surviving relatives had, you know, died during the Holocaust. I can't remember. I think, uh, I think it was both of her grandparents. Her grandparents, yeah. Her grandparents died during the Holocaust. And they were victims of it. Yeah. And she wanted to be a teacher. I don't know, at grade level, she wanted to be a teacher at, but they weren't, you know, about to let her. And then I remembered that she did work at the DOJ in Washington. Mm. Yeah, we featured a something by her on um, one of our podcast episodes. Um, yeah, and talk that she did, um, yeah, and I would like to call the group the Judy Human Jewish Disabled Women Support Group to name it in memory of her. Yeah, that's really nice. Good idea. Yeah, I just I never had a chance to meet her. Mm. Uh, and then Miv had an article on her. Well, I, you know, had almost, I misplaced the magazine, but found it again. 
And if I wind up getting another one in the mail, I could give either you or Matt the magazine um, to read about her. Ms. has gotten better about dealing with um, disabled women's issues. Um, and they, uh, they had one on Harriet Tubman who dealt with depression, not depression, but um, epilepsy, which, well, you know, the, um, I'm just trying to think of a word that um, it's, you know, well, often people with epilepsy deal with that too um, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they overlap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. No. Yeah, her disability came about because of um, being, I've been having been hit in the head, or I, I think by a slave master. Or so I I don't think I know the whole story on that. Harriet Tubman. Yeah, I don't know the whole story of how she became uh, disabled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you know I don't know a lot of magazines have their uh, some of their issues online where you can look at them on the web. I could look and see if uh, later. After we're done, I can look and see if I can get that article from Ms. Ms. Magazine. Yeah. Yeah, I bought it last year at Mississippi Market. Yeah, I'll take a look for it. That would be good to work. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, at first, now that had a book of hers, um, and I can't remember what it was called, and I was a little like, well, gee, if this is all you're going to have, you know, what good does that do? I mean, it was a start, but, you know, they went from just having a book of hers to having an article after, you know, she passed away. So it was a giant step in the right direction. Um. Do you know when they had an article about her? When they had it, it was, um, oh, God, let me uh, look at the, um, I'm just trying to find it on the floor. Um, It was um, summer of 2023, Uh, and it's called The Rolling Warrior. And it just says the late Judy Human never saw disability as a tragedy, but she saw barriers and denial as cause for for um, rebellion. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that description a lot. really a wonderful one yeah um yeah it's on page 44 yeah i when i oh go ahead i was saying i found a i found a copy of it to look at so thank you i will read it later oh you found a copy well online Oh, online. Oh, okay, that's fine. So, if anybody wants to, yeah. this, if you if you want to search for it on the web, if you're listening or watching this, um, search for Ms. Magazine and then just put in Judy Human H E U M A N N, and it should come up. Yeah. 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 She had passed away on March the fourth. Yeah, um, this year, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm so glad she was uh, represented in this magazine. Now have some old uh, magazines of Ms. going all the way back to 1972 when they got started. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a little grade school girl in 1972. Mm-hmm. I had come up to Burnsville, um, you know, having moved in with my sisters. I mean, my mother's sister, my sister and I were living in Burnsville at the time. So I had never heard the word feminist mm-hmm. and I had never heard the word feminist until I was a psych word. Uh, for the third time in 1970, uh, I mean, in 1980. And I didn't start calling myself a feminist until I had met now um, in um, 1984. I still had a difficult time with that until then. The year um, I was born. Yeah, uh the year I was born, 1984. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I still had questions before that, like when my sister's teacher got married, all her sister's teacher in second grade was Mrs. Donlin, and then I remember when it changed to Mrs. Borsgaard, yeah, I couldn't understand why mm-hmm. the hell women's names had to change, and and I never dreamed of the day when women could just keep their damn maiden names. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so I was already a budding feminist to some extent. And, yeah, the, you know you the know, story um, about the the orange on the seder plate in the at Passover. There's a, a story that, what? that there's back when there was a debate about whether women could be rabbis, some conservative, some rabbi who was more traditional said, the day that there's a woman rabbi will be the day that there's an orange on the Seder plate, which is not one of the traditional. An orange foods. on the what? An orange on the Seder plate. Plate. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not a traditional part of the. Passover celebration when the Jews sure. you know, we have our seders. Usually, it's not one of the right. foods, but many progressive congregations like Oramet now do include oranges on the seder plate. Oh wow! To make the point that we think women belong as rabbis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a good one. That's fantastic. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah, I also have met at least, I think, one or two female um, rabbis who are autistic. They were born with their autism, and they've, you know, been good trailblazers. Mm. Can't re- you know, they, um, I met them during um, uh, Jew- uh, Jewish uh, Disability Awareness Month. And I thought that was always so, you know, and enlightening and empowering for me. Yeah. Now that's something that I know one year we did do something at Oramet for that Jewish Disability Awareness Month, but we have we didn't keep it up. And it would probably be a really oh. good thing to try to uh, get back to that. Uh, the 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 um, the constraint we have is that we only have two sessions a month and if we have something else that month i'm trying to remember if that's when we usually do the refugee shabbat and then but we could maybe do it on one of the the sunday programs in in the disability month and then you know maybe make that a standard thing i'll have to talk to the program committee about that okay yeah i can support you in that yeah, because like I said, I know we did it some years ago, but we didn't keep it up. 
keep it up in case. Nice. Yeah, that would be great. Well, you know, yeah, um, I would say that, um, you know, that July now is uh, Disability Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's, you know, I know that in Boston and Chicago, both they've got disability five months going. Chicago has had theirs for 19 years. Wow. This will be the 20th. That's very impressive. Yeah, it is. Um, Philly is said to have. Um, in Pennsylvania have theirs, but I'm not really so sure. There are quite a few um, cities um, that lack disability pride, and they got started because they were inspired by LGBT pride, um, from what I know. Mm-hmm. You know, and the uh, corporate media doesn't cover it real well. National Geographic is one of the few um, more, um, you know, I don't like to define it with uh, traditional corporate media. They do a very good job of uh, advertising it, and you know, at least in their, um, on the uh, TV, they do a real good job of, uh, of, of acknowledging it. You know, and I, I, you know, get their uh, newsletter. I haven't really gotten their magazine yet, and I've gotten surveys from them. And, and I, you know, let them know one year that I was really happy, you know, when seeing them um, acknowledge it on TV. You know, and they've been real good to me um, as well. You know, and they, you know, said, yeah, we, you know, like to be inclusive of everyone. Now, they've also been pretty good on the LGBT um, Pride Month as well. Nice. You know, and all the rest. Well, Alan, did you think of a good joke yet? Did I think of a good joke yet? Ah. Well. (laughs) Um... Boy, let's see. I shouldn't tell that joke. That's a... Um, I think this is a joke that I might have heard. I don't think it was Lenny Bruce, but it was somebody like that long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sort of a... a the Lone Ranger and Tonto are out in the desert and they get surrounded by a group of hostile Apaches and they're running low on ammunition and they're badly outnumbered. And uh, they're, you know, the Lone Ranger's got like one bullet left and he turns to Tonto and he says, well, Tonto, it looks like this is the end for us. And Tonto says, what you mean us, white man? Anyway, best I can do on short notice. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. Um, You're welcome. Is there anything that um, you would like to leave listeners with um, as uh, to close up the interview? Um. I guess uh, I'll just give the uh, website for or a net for people who yeah, want to please. learn more about the congregation. Please, please, please. www.oremet.org. Mm-hmm. So we're a secular humanistic congregation. We don't we don't have God in our prayers and liturgy, but we believe in people, all people. Yeah, and uh, we're very glad to have Beth and others with different abilities in our congregation. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great evening. Great, Alan. Yeah, I will. Take care now.
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Have, have a good one. Thank you to Alan and to Catalina for the content in today's episode. We have some exciting news. Able Media has joined a group called The Artery at the Ivy for the Arts building in Minneapolis. Keep your ears and your eyes and your fingers peeled for news about upcoming events. And that about wraps up our episode of Adapt Revolution, your weekly antidote to hate, greed, and ableism, where the D word is disability. Thanks for tuning in. She's the gather.